0: So we are continuing on in this series called Habits, and we've been looking at the four resources that Jesus used in order to live the life that God the Father intended for him to live, um, and for him and the resources that Jesus used to do the ministry that God laid out for him. And uh, just as a plug, if you haven't taken the Discipleship One Core Class, this is these four resources are laid out in that discipleship one. Now, I'm kind of putting a plug in in for it because I got to teach it this past semester um, here at uh, the church this springtime. And it's going to launch again. All of the core classes are going to launch again right after Labor Day. So be getting involved in that. That's one of Mitchell Berean's intentional plans for growth uh, for the body here. So to get deeper in your walk, um, get into some of those core classes. And we'll talk a little bit later about that. But the book that we use in Discipleship One is called Four Chair Discipleship. And it's important to note, and Dan Spader points this out, that Jesus never dipped into his divinity when he used these resources. And why is that important? That's important for us to understand because none of us um, are divine, right? And because God didn't tap into his divinity, that means that everything that he tapped into is available to you and me as well. And so the last three weeks, we've been looking at three of the resources. This is the fourth week, so it will be the fourth resource. So the first week, we looked at the Holy Spirit. So we understand that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, to guide us, to convict us, to open up the Word of God for us, to seal us for salvation. That's the Holy Spirit's role. And the second week, we looked at Jesus using the resource of the Word of God. Jesus memorized the word of God, and that was his defense against Satan's attacks. Prayer. Jesus often withdrew and prayed to God the Father. That was last week. Jesus prayed often. And this week, Jesus, he used relationships to to live the life and do the ministry that God the Father intended for him to live and do. Now, Kind of a question I had as I was preparing this that I hadn't really thought for is that the Son of God is going to have a relationship with sinful man, right? The sinless God is going to have a relationship with a sinless man and rely on them in some kind of way. And we're going to look at that today. How, how did Jesus do that? So can we rely on sinful man? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit was working and doing, and we're going to look at all that. So uh, I think we can see... Um, the perfect example of, of relationship in the deity because relationship is what makes life meaningful and purposeful, and God demonstrates that. The Trinity, we call, it the, we call him the triune God. Three parts, tri, right? Tri is three, and yun would be unity, right? So even though there are three separate entities, All are perfectly in sync in purpose and will. God is one with himself. And they're fully satisfied in their fellowship with one another. And although they carry out different roles of the divinity, they do so without any strife or division or conflict. What a perfect example of unity and relationship demonstrated to us by the Godhead himself. So in this, we see that God is relational. He's relational in and of himself. And then when Jesus came to earth, he tells us himself in Matthew that all of the commandments in the Old Testament that we see can be summed up into just two. Just two commandments. Loving God and loving others. Matthew 22, let's read it. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So relationship with God. We looked at this earlier, right? The Holy Spirit. um, We're leaning on him. We're indwelled by him. Relationship with God through belief in Jesus' death and resurrection. And then with the third part of the Trinity, with God the Father, um, we're in communion, in prayer with him. So we're loving God as we're depending on him and praying as we're trusting in him. But relationship with others, where we're spending the time today, um, is also one of those two commandments that sums up everything. So with the advent of the mobile device, whether that be a tablet, whether that be a cell phone, Media that used to be consumed as a family or as a group of friends in the living room or on an airplane or on a bus ride now can become publicly viewable. And you can choose specifically what you want to watch, what fits your interests and needs, while the person sitting a half a foot next to you is doing the exact same thing. And they can view and watch what appeals to them as well. So it's really allowed for us to not have to find common ground with the person next to us in order to work out, well, what are we going to watch together? What are we going to listen to in the car ride together? You can just pop in your AirPods and listen to uh, whatever you want to listen to. And on top of that, social media allows us to create our own world around us based on our own preferences. And we can allow or disallow and even block from our world whomever we want. And we can post the most ideal image of ourselves so that people can see us for the flawless person we want to project or perceive others to perceive us to be. So technology has really um, found itself and fed itself on our selfishness and created a world in which the world centers around me, my preferences, my likes. And it's evident in our culture now, and we see it. That having a lot of me, me, me's walking around doesn't create a culture of cooperation or unity. This, in this self-centered world, there's no accountability to others. You can kind of go rogue and, and take your world wherever you want it. And it really sets up what the Bible says, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what's going to happen in Revelation. It's what happened to the the nation of Israel. It's what happened before the flood. Our sin nature will constantly pull us away from what God wants. With the flood, Genesis 6, 5 says, "...the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness of the heart, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil." When we get centered on ourselves, that's where our human nature takes us, where we can't think anything godly or right. Even Israel, the nation of God, called out by God in Judges 17, 6, and even later in the book, 21, 25, it's the exact same verse, two different places. It says, in those days, Israel had no king and the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Well, you can believe what you believe, and I'll just believe what I believe. You can have your own truth, and I'll have my own truth. Proverbs 21, 2 warns, people might be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. God knows what's going on, and we need to be set on the true truth, God's truth. We We don't get to determine our truth for ourselves. It needs to be settled and anchored on the Word of God. And even regarding events that are going on around us, it needs to be grounded in the reality of what actually happened, not just our feelings based on a given situation. Now, there's going to be conflict in any relationship. We can't talk about conflict or relationships without bringing up conflict. And it's not unhealthy to have conflict. Just because you have conflict doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But how you deal, how we deal with that conflict is what really matters. That's what can be healthy or unhealthy. There's a biblical way to handle conflict that facilitates future restoration. And we see that in Matthew 18 and elsewhere in Scripture And God's people should set the stage and seek out that restoration with each other. And if there's conflict, leave doors open for restoration. And fight for unity with fierce tenacity and not just casually. In Hebrews chapter 10 and 12 and 15, we see him constantly saying, Strive for peace with everyone. Don't let there be a root of bitterness. When we're not pursuing peace with one another we're actually allowing a root of bitterness to grow within us. And our anger with one another can give the devil a foothold. And that's what he wants to do. When he causes disunity, he can cause things to blow up. In Ephesians 4, we had a whole series on this. um, But Ephesians 4, 25 to 27, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And in your anger, do not sin, but do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. Don't take the bait to live in disunity with another person. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with them. Don't take the bait. Satan wants to blow up his church, Big C Church. What happens when this tablet and iPhone in social media world, this selfish culture enters the church. What happens when people start defining their own truth or making the gathering of the saints about being served rather than serving? What happens when people try to bring that, I, want, I just want my world to be whatever I've defined it to be? What, if they, what happens when people bring that mentality to the church? We hear things like, I can't find a church that, I like, right? We hear that all the time. I can't, I just, I'll just stay home because I just can't find a church that I like. Or it's hard for me to find a church that meets my needs. Or we start complaining about the music. I hear some from time to time. I'm the worship arts guy. And so I hear it and we try to serve the body well, um, but we can't do it just one person's way, we try to serve the body at large here with with the song selection and the volume and, and everything, but sometimes, you know, you hear the music's too loud, the music's too quiet. Yes, we hear that too. Uh, believe it or not, it's like, okay, there's people on each side, I guess. Um, they play too many old songs, they play too many new songs, or that worship guy should really just stick with the music and not try preaching, right? Um, <laughs> we start hearing these complaints, people you know, bringing up all their personal preferences and they want to you know, click the like button on what they like and click the dislike button and let the algorithm of the church start letting those things they don't like fade out and the things they like bring to fruition. And man, wouldn't it be nice if you could just come to church and there's one person you're just struggling to love and you can just go block and you don't have to deal with them anymore. Isn't that the world we've created for each other? You can just go and you hit block. You can't just delete someone out of this real life circle. And it's difficult as we rub up against each other. And the scripture talks about it all the time. Now the pandemic period gave us just a little taste of what it would be like to have church without having to walk into a room and see someone we're struggling to love. Let me tell you, there's no such thing as digital communion. We've got the communion table set up. Fellowship is something that happens in person. We need to gather together in person. It's because of those things I'm just talking about where we have to rub up against each other to, f- to feel and sense and experience the refining that God has for us. The pandemic period, like John, Pastor John said, and m- many pastors who looked into it, it really revealed that we have a weak ecclesiology. That means a study of the church, and it made us ask, why do we even meet together? And people are a- asking, you know, why would I get up in- early in the morning if I can just tap in online if that's okay? that's all right for me to do that, that's a whole lot easier for me. I can sit in my living room in my PJs and drink my coffee while I watch on my personal device and leave, leave my kids asleep. I don't want to deal with them. Um, why do we meet together? Are we just a club? Do we meet here just because we like the music or the feeling that we get or the experience? Or we just feel better and our, our, we're encouraged? Um, are we here just for socialization is it, are we here because we have cool activities that happen, or there's a neat building, or maybe you're a business person here, you're, like, you're like, man, I want to go to Mitchell Berean because I can make a lot of great business connections there. Like, Why are we here? What is our motivation to bring us to the local church, to fellowship with one another? Well, let me tell you, we meet together, you and I meet together, because we believe in Jesus. That's it. We believe in Jesus. We're saved. We've trusted in faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. And we want to gather together because of that. That is it. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And in First John 1, 5 to 7, we read this last week and we focused a little more on the confession aspect during worship. I'm not thinking we we're going to read it again here this week, but it says this in verse 5 and onward, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we, have, if we say we have fellowship with God, but going on, go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship, our fellowship with each other is forever. Because like we sang earlier, the furthest I can fall is in his hands. Our salvation is secure in Christ. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. And our unity with God, since it's sealed, our fellowship with one another, is sealed because of Jesus' work. Sorry, we're stuck with each other. We're stuck with each other for all eternity, and we can get a glimpse of heaven here together. Now we're going to look at the example of Jesus in a couple of different um, ways. We're going to look at um, the influences on his life, but then also how Jesus depended on others. Um, The very fact that Jesus came to earth is very relational. Jesus wanted to have a relationship with you and me. That's the very reason he came. That's extremely relational. And why did he have to come? We have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They failed. They sinned in the garden. And mankind became wicked And sin nature was passed on to every generation afterward, including us and onward. And God destroyed all of humanity except for Noah and his family because they all became wicked. And through Moses, God then afterward gave the law that taught what loving God and loving others looked like. Okay, guys, here's how to love God. Here's how to love others. And what happened? By the time Jesus shows up, You got a whole bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees that turned this very relational law into a bunch of rules that had nothing to do with relationship. They removed the love completely from it. So Jesus came to earth essentially to show us, okay, guys, okay, I gave you the manual. Apparently you didn't get it. Why don't I just show you how to do it? Why don't I just show you how to love God and love people? And so without using his God card, he didn't go swiping his God card He used resources that you and I can use to live the sinful life or sinless life that he was intended to live. And during his time on earth, he built relationships with people and they were an influence on him. Now, as Jesus was young, we see that his parents had an influence on him. Even before Jesus was conceived, Mary and Joseph were living uprightly. That's important. Even before the conception of Jesus... They were living rightly so that God could call Mary and say, you honored one, you are the chosen one that that is going to carry the son of God. Because she was living pure, she was living right. That's an influence on Jesus, right? Joseph as well. Angel came to him. Hey, don't discard Mary. This is of God. Jesus was conceived and born. And Mary and Joseph followed the law. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. They were following what God had laid out for them. Jesus had a, an in-depth knowledge of the word of God. Do you think his parents had an influence on that? Absolutely. Do you think that influenced Jesus' ministry? Absolutely. I mean, Jesus still would have lived the sinless life he was supposed to live. But wow, even Jesus had parents that needed to bring him to the temple to teach him um, the word of God and how to think rightly about the law and about God. Jesus had to study the word of God and his parents facilitated that. So even Jesus benefited from godly parents that set him up for future ministry. And every one of us and our children are ministers in one respect or another. So I, I asked my daughter, Alexia, if I could share this story with you. And she said it was okay. So I've got her permission on this. When she got old enough to be in sixth grade, the very first week, we uh, were going to take her there. And I was sitting in my office here, and I get a call from Christina, who's over at the youth center down in the middle of Mitchell. And Christina says, Ken, Alexia doesn't want to go, and I can't get her out of the car. <sighs> All right, I'll be right over. So I jumped in the car. It's about five minutes down there. And I uh, sent Christina off home with the kids in, that, in the one car, and I jumped in the other car and just sat and talked. And... I don't want to go, Dad. I don't want to go. I'm not going. Um, (laughs) And I said, Alexia, your mom and I have talked about this. This is something that is valuable to her and me for your spiritual growth, that you be involved with believers that are your own age to experience teaching and a ministry targeted towards kids your age. You're going. (laughs) No, I'm not. She doesn't normally set her will like that. Usually, she's pretty cooperative. So she really didn't want to go. Well, over the next five, ten minutes, we managed to get her out of the car. Um, It might have included prying her fingers off of the handle as we got her out. But we finally made it out of the car. And I said, you are going. I'm not giving up on this. This is something that we value so much for you, Alexia. Do you want me to walk in with you? And she said, okay. She knew I wasn't going to give up, so she gave in, and we walked in. She had her head down. She was sulking. We make it in there, and uh, Janae welcomed her in, and Laren welcomed her in, and I said, okay, I'll see you at 8.30 when, when youth group gets over. Boy, I was wondering that whole time, that, how that two hours was going. You know, did, is she imploding? Is she crying? Janae had my number. She could have called me if things fell apart, and... Um, I show up at 8.30, and Alexia comes, and she gets in the car, and she closes the door, and then she sits like this with her head facing away from me. And it was quiet for a while. She goes, I hate to admit it, Dad, but I had fun. (laughs) A lot of times they don't know what they're getting into, right? And we need to insist that no... This spiritual walk that we want to set up for you is something we really value as parents. It needs to happen. We value it for you. Now, Alexia, now, she she loves to go. And now she's old enough to drive herself there. And it's wonderful for us. Let me tell you, that's a change. Um, So she drives her and her sister there. And they both love going and, and getting there early. Alexia plays piano and sings on the worship team. But I tell you, even more importantly than that, she watches out for those kids that are coming in whose parents might have said, you're going. And they come in and maybe not being too excited. And she spots them. Very quickly, and she ministers to them and welcomes them in. And that's part of her ministry there, and it's amazing to see um, how easy it would have been for me to be like, "Okay, well, if you don't want to go, we'll just, well, let's just head home." Um, no, it's been something that has been very beneficial to her spiritual walk. As a now, fifteen years old, Pastor Ben's ministry and now Justin has really breathed into her. So mothers mothers and fathers, get your kids involved in ministry. Get them to Rhyme and youth group. If they're just sitting and playing video games, get them up. Hey, you're going. This is something I insist on. Be the parent. Don't let them be the parent in your home. Um, Get them to a place where they can grow. Uh, Justin's rocking it down there. And the student leaders that Pastor Ben has put in place, they're rocking it down there. So not only were Jesus' parents influential on him, but also his brothers. Now his brothers kind of negatively right at first, because they're like, okay, Jesus, you're going a little bit too far. You're kind of going crazy. Why don't you come with us, brother? Um, Right? You see that? But later on, you see them being a pivotal part of the ministry as Jesus um, uses and leans on them and their ministry. And even as Jesus departs, his brothers carry on the ministry. Jesus' family was very pivotal. The relationships he had in his family were very pivotal in the ministry. Now, outside of his family, Jesus invested deliberately in a few who would partner with him. Some were in his family, some were not, but he starts reaching out. Three of his, closest, three, his three closest disciples were Peter, James, and John. And they had a deep and intimate relationship with each other. Um, You see the disciples leaning on his chest at the Last Supper. um, Very close. Um, And they loved each other um, as brothers, I would say, in Christ. I guess that would be right because he was Christ. (laughs) They loved each other and did ministry together, did life together. And Jesus invested in nine others for a broader circle of twelve as he invested in them and spent much time with them and showed them as an example how to live and what to do. And an even broader circle of 72, we see, were trained and sent to prepare the cities for Jesus by saying, the kingdom of God is near you. And Jesus gave them power and a mission. And he invested in them with his time and his energy, his, and an extreme amount of patience. And he invested in them. By living out an example for them to see. He lived out an example for them to see. That is very relational. For us as parents, for us as coworkers, we live out the example of this is how you do it. He ate with the tax collectors, the people he wasn't allowed to, to relate with. And they experienced life change in a giving heart. He uh, spent time uh, forgiving prostitutes and told them, sin no more giving compassion and mercy on them. He washed the disciples' feet when he probably should have been the one getting his feet washed by the disciples. He forgave those who were nailing him to the tree. That's phenomenal. And so many, so many more examples that we see in Scripture. We also see that Jesus began to lean on his disciples. And as they became more equipped... Jesus gave them more responsibilities in the ministry. Um, in that four-chair discipleship book, we see the progression of the disciples as they become his, his co-workers. They start out as, hey, just follow me. And that's pretty comfortable. Oh, I'll just see what, I, what it's all about. Then they become his friends. He calls them friends in John chapter 15. We get to John chapter 20. Um, sorry, there's followers, then they become servants, they're workers, and then friends, and then brothers. In Hebrews 2, it says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters, for he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Even Jesus, because of his grace and mercy, is not ashamed to associate with you and me. He calls you and me his brothers, his sisters. That's what his love and forgiveness does. Is it because you and I are perfect? No. It's because he wants to have a relationship with us. And he accommodates for our failures. And he did so with his blood. Another point is Jesus allowed others to minister to him. We see him going up to be baptized, and John the Baptist says, "Uh uh-uh, like I'm not baptizing you, you baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. We see that uh, Mary was preparing food for him. We see the perfume being broken over Jesus' feet. And then we see as Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives for the last time before um, his crucifixion, he was in anguish and he asks his disciples to pray for him. And he goes off to pray and he comes back and the disciples, they had fallen asleep. He's like, guys, I really need you to pray for me. And he walks off again, he comes back and they've fallen asleep again. Wake up. Don't you know this is serious? I'm in anguish. I really need you to pray for me. And he walks off, and he comes back, and again, they've fallen asleep. Three times, they've fallen asleep. Just makes me think, with our prayer ministry, are we falling asleep on the prayer requests that we're asked to pray for? Maybe not literally or physically falling asleep, but are we letting them kind of die away? I'll pray for that and we fall asleep on it. Let's be intentional about that. Don't fall asleep. If someone is in anguish, that is a deep way that we can be in relationship as the body of Christ, is praying for one another and following up and and staying awake, if it were, on those prayer requests. After Jesus died, rose again, he ascended into heaven, we see the early church having fellowship with itself Koinonia is a word that happens about 20 times in the Bible, and its primary primary meaning is fellowship or sharing in common or communion. And it's not a selfish word, is it? True Christianity is not selfish. And it doesn't sound like prosperity gospel either, does it? Because true Christianity is not self-centered. It is Christ-centered, which since Christ is others-centered... That means true Christianity is others-centered. In Acts 2, uh, 2, verse 42 to 47, this is what the early church looked like. All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Can I just take a moment and thank you, Mitchell Berean? Um, We as staff, elders, pastors, um, just see so many of you in the generosity of your heart, giving and serving one another. And we don't always see everything that's going on. And when you see a need, we see so many of you jumping in to fill and fit that need. Thank you, church. And there's so much more, and we can grow in it. We're not perfect in it. Um, But our heart is to serve one another, and we can see that heartbeat of Mitchell Berean to want to love on others, to meet each other's needs. So thank you, church, for being the church to each other. Being the body of Christ takes all of us, all of us contributing together. That's real ministry. In Acts, everyone is giving up of their time. We see that because they're meeting every single day. See you guys tomorrow morning for worship again. And after that, the next morning, let's meet for worship again. They enjoyed and loved the company of one another. That's awesome. The early church loved being around each other. They were sharing their treasures, not just their time, but their treasures. They were selling everything. Selling their land, selling their property to meet others' needs. They were not just giving their time and treasures, but their talents. They were contributing to the local body with their gifts. In Titus 3, it says, Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Do we want to be productive? then let's meet the needs of others. That's what it looks like to be productive. We're meeting the needs of others. Now, we might just be thinking, well, I don't have the money to do that. It's not just money. It's not just financial or physical needs that people need met. How about discipleship? Are we bringing the younger ones along or maybe a brother along who is struggling through something? How about friendship? Is there somebody who's lonely? Can we encourage them and meet their need by being a friend? Educational needs, Spiritual fellowship needs. Hey, come join our life group. Let's meet the needs and be productive as a church. Because in the world it's not happening. And when the world looks in, they'll know we are Christians because of our great music. Yeah, you chuckle, right? They'll they'll know we are Christians because of our fun activities because of our amazing teaching, because of our beautiful building. They're going to know we're Christians because of our doctrinal knowledge, because of our intelligence, because of our organizational abilities, because of our energy and our passion. John 13 says, this is Jesus speaking, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for me, my love for you, your love for everybody else gathered, everyone else who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, your love for those people will prove that you are a Christian. It's bright. It goes in contrast to the delete culture, the block culture, that our social media has set up for us. I love anyone who calls themselves a brother or sister in Christ. And I long for unity with everyone who calls himself a brother or sister in Christ. Do you long for that? Does it break your heart when there's disunity? It breaks my heart when there's disunity. Because it's it's hurting the testimony of Christ. Now, I have to put in a plug. I'm wearing the shirt today. This is the shirt from last year. Unite Night of Worship is a time when we can get together with brothers and sisters in Christ, united in the gospel of Jesus Christ for a night of worship. And I think that has great potential to be one of these things that shows that we love one another. We are disciples of Christ because even though we come from different bodies and even though we might think differently on things, we unite on the fact that Jesus died for our sins. He rose again and by faith alone in his work and adding no other works to it, we are saved and we can have fellowship with one another. We're going to be singing side by side in fellowship in heaven for eternity. Let's get a glimpse of that today. So that's going to be the last day of July. Um, and Paul Brady from Sunrise is leading that out this year. Um, Sunrise Church is our church plant from about 10 years ago. And um, there's about 12 churches involved this year and more as more people sign up for the choir. You can sign up for choir too if you want. Jump on to church center. There's my plug. Come. Come on the last day of next month. Um, love that we just talked about doesn't mean letting someone self-destruct or say, stay in the same place of spiritual immaturity. Hebrews 10 has some tough words here. Um, he calls us to spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know what a spur is? And I kind of dwelled on that for a little while. We're supposed to spur one another. Those are the sharp things in the back of your boot that you use to get a little excitement out of your bowl that you're riding on, right? Get a little action out of that horse. Spurs kind of hurt, but they cause um, an awareness and a hate. Let me get your attention. We're supposed to spur. Some other versions say prod, same idea. We're poking at each other. Hey, hey man, God's got more for you. Get to work. I know you're called to this. Would you step into this area of ministry? I see so much potential in you. Come on, man, step up. Let's do it together. We're called to do that with each other. Now, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Our just meeting together sharpens each other. There's improvement to both blades when they're scraped against each other and it makes them both more useful, making them sharper and more effective for their intended use. You know, blunt knives are still knives. They're just not very fun to work with, are they? So they need sharpened. And it doesn't feel good to have an imperfection scraped off, but it's necessary for us to spend time with God's people so we can be made more effective. Again, how can we sharpen one another? Show up. Take a class. Work through things instead of just taking off when things get tough. When when there's a catch, work through it. I've learned so much by just working through things or, or pushing through things rather than just throwing in the towel, finding a different job. Take the discipleship one core class. Discipleship Two, Shape, Partnership, Bible Basics. Um, Luke is coming on staff and he'll be preaching next week. Um, it was amazing when he came and taught, what, six months ago. So we're excited to have him teach next week. Um, and he'll be reorganizing or representing um, the core classes to us and making a plan for us to be even more intentional in this. So there may be even more opportunities. He'll share more on that probably next week. <laughs> In VBS, we talked about another way to sharpen each other. We, we asked, what gifts did God give me? And did God give me these gifts so that we could look more amazing? Or to build our personal brand? Or to make lots of money for ourselves, Or to make a, an impressive personal legacy? No, our spiritual gift was given to us specifically for the building up of the body. It's another way we sharpen each other. Use your spiritual gift. We need it in order to build up the body and sharpen each other. Be more effective. Our communion with each other in Christ will cause each other to burn brightly. You've heard the analogy of the fire raging. And even just a few months ago, I used this analogy while I was sitting around our fire talking with somebody who thought he could get everything he needed from God and didn't need to be in the fellowship with others. And I took a coal out of the fire, and I, I let it burn. and it, The fire kept raging, but this coal just kind of fizzled out, and it went from glowing red to black. And after he got done making his point, I asked what had happened to this isolated, once burning piece of wood. And he said, well, it's gone out. And I said, well, why? Well, because it wasn't in with the others. And a light bulb clicked. That's what the fellowship is. That's what the fellowship is. It's being in with the others. And as soon as I put it back in, it reignited very quickly and it got going. We need each other. Christina's a runner. She's one of those nuts She got first place um, yesterday and the day before in two different races. Yeah. That's crazy. Awesome. But (laughs) Pastor John even mentioned this, and Christina says it all the time. You can run faster alone, but you can run further together. Pursue relationships that build you up in Christ. Pursue relationships that build you up in Christ. Very base level is just come to church. I tell you, there's so much more than that, though, if that's all you're doing. Get involved in an interest group. That's another kind of comfort level a way to get involved with the body. Just find something you're interested in. You can jump on the Church Center app and find someone else who likes fishing. Uh, the canoe and supboarding group and kayaking group is going out this coming week. And so uh, you can jump in with them and go kayaking. And you're around the body, around positive brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, come to celebrate recovery on Wednesday night, to have fellowship with other believers who are taking an intentional step of growth. Next level. This is very beneficial. and This is what the Ronies did to us. Join a life group or start one and dive into God's word together. Aaron's going to be soon announcing a life group leader training And shortly after that, a life group launch. So if you're interested in being a leader, if the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart a little bit, to man, I I know I could lead one. um, Talk to Aaron. We need some leaders of life groups. His information is in the bulletin. Talk to Aaron. Let's fight for fellowship with one another. The early church was persecuted for gathering, and some were even put to death. Just... We're getting together with other believers. But that did not stop them from meeting. In fact, it made them even more determined to meet together. There are individuals and groups being killed today around the world just because they dare to be in fellowship with God's people. If our government said, you know what, Christian churches, you can't preach Christ, you can't gather in the name of Jesus, it's done. Would we still meet? next level if they said we will kill you if you meet in the name of Jesus will you show up the early church did it was that important to them and it should be that important to us it matters that much to me that we are in fellowship and unity with one another that i'm willing to to die if i get together with you do we have that kind of blazing fire and ferocity to fellowship with one another One final passage before we dive into communion, Psalm 133, 1. How good behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is. Boy, there's blessing when we're in unity with one another, with the body of Christ, with others who proclaim Jesus as their Savior. The early church took communion together, and it says this in 1 Corinthians 10. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from the one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Since we are one with Christ, church, we are one with one another. And the Lord's table humbles and causes us to examine ourselves. We're united by the body and blood of Christ. And we come before the table before Jesus. Here at Mitchell Berean, we practice what's known as open communion, meaning in order to participate, you must simply need to have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means that we acknowledge that we are sinners and on our way to an eternity in hell. But Jesus, God's only son, became a man and lived a sinless life, died in our place and took our sin upon himself, and he now offers a free gift of eternal life. If we have faith in his finished work, we can receive this free gift and enter into a relationship with him and, as we learn today, relationship with God's people. 1 Corinthians 11, on the night when he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper and saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life that we do not deserve. We trust in your finished work by faith alone. God, we remember what you did for us. And in remembering, it helps us to know how much you loved us And to remember the call, how much to love one another. You've brought us into unity with you, and you've brought us into unity with God's people. Help us to live that unity out. So as we take this cup, God, we pray that we would remember and just have a depth, a deep sense of your love and pass that on to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.